Um, people that are here for the first time, we are doing a series called The Culmination. Um, so we've been, gosh, it feels like it's been forever. This is week number 73 in this series that we've been doing through the book of Luke. Luke is a long book. And so we started way back in 2015. We kind of take our time getting through it, and we are in the end. So that's what culmination means. Culmination is the end of something. But we also know that we're quickly studying the end of Jesus' life on earth. It's the last four days of his, of his life on earth is what we're studying now. So Luke chapter 22. Um, listen, while you're turning there, we're going to be in verses 44, I mean 54 through 65. So whether you're scrolling to it, turning to it, while you're doing that, I'm going to give you, man, y'all are so lucky, a sneak peek into how I prepare a message. Are you ready? Prepare, like take notes. You're going to love this, okay? First thing, when we know the passage that we're going to study, like today we know we're in Luke 22, 54 to 65, here's the first thing I do. I read it. How many of you know that's probably a good idea, right? I read it a lot. I read it in like different, different versions, different translations. Um, and, then, and then I'll start because I know that other people have lived before me. Sometimes the best books are the ones written by dead people. I mean, well, they were written by living people who are now dead. You know what I'm saying, right? So I will study commentary. So I'll, I'll read the text a lot. I'll read about the text a lot. And then this is really important. I pray about the text a lot. Y'all know you should do that, right? We should pray. And here's what I'll ask God. Lord, is there something in this passage that you want to highlight for our church, right? So is there like a phrase, a word, a, a, a thought that you want to take from this passage and for that Sunday that I'm preaching it, you want to highlight that specific thing. And so if you've been coming here very long, you know that every week we have this thing called the big idea, right? And that's how the big idea comes about. The big idea is not me saying to you, there's nothing else that we can learn from this passage. Because, you know, it's the Bible, right? Y'all know you could read the same passage of Scripture every day, and the Holy Spirit will give you something different every day, right? I mean, he just it's like a diamond. He just turns it, and we just get different different aspects of it. So it's not me saying, hey, this is all there is to this passage. What it is is me saying, this is what I think the Lord is highlighting for our church. And I want to give it to you in such a way that you can remember it. Now, where did that come from? Honestly, I was a youth pastor. And so what I learned is that teenagers have the attention span of about three minutes max, right? And I, so, like, and then I realized I would do all this preparation, and I would try to put like, the perfect sermon, and I would preach it to teenagers. But at the end of that time, they're looking at me like, you are right now. Like, what's the point? And so I started asking God, hey, is there a picture? Is there a metaphor? Like, we have this amazing thing called the Internet. Could you possibly point me on the Internet to a picture that would be worth how many words? A thousand words that I could put up on the screen at the end of my maybe 15-minute message that they wouldn't remember anything I said, but when they saw the picture, they'd be like, oh, I'll never forget that. And if I could tie that back into the Scripture, that would be a big win. It's almost like Jesus saying, this is a mustard seed. See what he did? He tied a truth to something that they saw as ordinary and they never saw it the same way again. So when I'm praying about a, a text... When I'm reading about it, when I'm studying it, I'm asking the Lord, God, is there a metaphor? Is there something you could give me in this passage that would kind of highlight what you want to say in this passage? And that's kind of where the big idea comes from. The reason I said all that, too, is because in this passage today, when I ask God that question, 
um, he told me that what he wanted to highlight was the sound that that the rooster makes in the text that we're going to read. And I was like, seriously? Like, you want me to stand up with confidence as a mighty man of God and tell the people of God that God wants you to know that roosters crow? Yes. Sweet. Like, I want to just be honest and say, I didn't even know it was called a crow, crowing. Like, if you had asked me this past week what, what sound does a rooster make, I would have said, cock-a-doodle-doo. But that's not a sound. That's just what, it's, that's what the sound sounds like, right? So the sound that the rooster makes is actually a crow. So, so you're going to see in verse 60 when we read it, you'll see, and the rooster crowed. And that's what God wants us to, yeah, I know, you're like, I don't know where this is going, but hang with me, right? Just hang with me. So let's start reading. Here we go. Um, verse 54. So they arrested him, him as Jesus, and led him to the high priest's home, and Peter followed at a distance. The guards lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat around it, and Peter joined them there. A servant girl noticed him in the firelight and began staring at him. Finally, she said, this man was one of, our Jesus, was one of Jesus' followers. But Peter denied it. Woman, he said, men in the house, we're not going to camp out on this. But if you don't take anything else away from me, that's not the way to start a sentence. Ever, ever, never. Woman, he said, I don't even know him. After a while, someone else looked at him and said, you must be one of them. No, man, I'm not, Peter retorted. About an hour later, someone else insisted, this must be one of them because he's a Galilean too. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, translation, while the words were still coming out of his mouth, the rooster crowed. That's the phrase that we'll come back to. Verse 61, at that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And suddenly the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times that you even knew me. That's from an earlier, we studied that a couple weeks ago when Jesus said to Peter, you're going to deny me. And Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. The guards in charge of Jesus began mocking and beating him. They blindfolded him and said, prophesy to us, who hit you that time? And they hurled all sorts of terrible insults at him. Listen. I've been in church long enough to have heard this passage preached a ton. It almost always goes the same way. I'm not going to stand in front of you and tell you that I have a better way to preach it. But the way I've always heard this is Peter gets thrown under the bus. Always. Can I just tell you the first thing that jumped out of me in this passage was it says that Peter followed at a distance. Y'all know that means he's following Jesus, right? He's still following Jesus. He's at a distance. That's not good. But he's following Jesus. It made me realize that some of us this morning, some of us are following Jesus at a distance. Here's, here's a couple reasons why you might be following Jesus at a distance. Just remember, you're still following Jesus. Peter, if he was smart, would never have gone where he is. But he went because he was following him. Now, why is he at a distance? Here's a couple reasons why we follow Jesus at a distance. We're not sure what's happened to the closeness we once felt. Come on, y'all. Raise your hands if you can relate to this sentence. I remember the time. Oh, Lord. It was youth camp, 1997. And the Lord was close. People were singing, friends are friends forever. If the Lord's the Lord of them, I felt him like he was right here. You been there? And then you went home and your parents were like, take out the trash. And Jesus was like, whoop, 
gone, right? You're like, where did he go, right? And if you've, if you've served Jesus any amount of time, you can relate to being close to him, and then suddenly you're not. And usually what happens is church people say cute things like, well, if you used to be close to Jesus and you're not, guess who moved? Yeah, no, no kidding, Sherlock. We know I moved, right? I get it. But the point is I'm still not feeling close to him at all. But you can still be following him. You just don't feel close to him like you used to. You're following him at a distance. Sometimes we follow at a distance because we're not as confident as we once were about what Jesus promised. Have you been there? Parents of grown children. Man, this applies sometimes, doesn't it? Because your kids grow up, and sometimes they, they, they get to a place where they can make choices, and you're like, that's good. And then they make choices, and you're like, oh, no. <laughs> that was not, mm, okay, we'll pretend like we didn't hear one person laugh at that, right? I'm just kidding. <laughs> He's spitting coffee out right now. Listen, when, when God promises you something, and then it doesn't look like it's going to happen, it can cause you to follow back at a distance. Business people in the room, you started a business because you knew that God gave you a call to start that business, and now you are, the business might not make it, and you're like, what, what's up with that, God? I'm doing what you told me to do, and I don't know if you're going to come through like you said you were going to do. Um, spouse who's watching another spouse not be faithful to the vows that that spouse made, and you know that God promised he can restore a marriage, he can restore a relationship, best friends, right now you're struggling. And you're like, God, I know you can restore this, but when will you? And when we start to lose confidence in his ability to maintain his promise, we tend to fall back and follow at a distance. Sometimes we fall at a distance because we're just flat out not sure how this is going to play out. I think that Peter was enough of a curious man to go, huh, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm going to kind of keep my eye on it. And see, sometimes we just don't know how it's going to play out. It's okay. We follow the distance. What I want you to see this morning is that while God understands the distance, he doesn't want it. Because he understands that there's danger in distance. Can we just talk about that, the danger of distance, for just a minute? Verse 55. They arrested Jesus, led him to the high priest's home, and Peter followed at a distance. Verse 55 says, the guards lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat around it, and Peter joined them there. Can I ask a simple question? Why did Jesus, I mean, why did Peter join them at the fire? It's not um, a rocket science answer. Can I give it to you? He was cold. He might have been cold, right? It's dark. He might have been cold. It's possible. Or he had a hot dog he wanted to grill, right? I don't know. Roast. Roast. You don't grill on a fire. You roast. I got it. He, listen, following at a distance will cool your faith. Some of you are like, I don't know why I don't feel like I used to feel. I do. You took a few steps backwards. You're still following Jesus. That's good. But you're at a distance. And that's why you don't feel the heat that you used to feel. It, it gets worse. Not only can it make us feel cold, it can also bring us the wrong companions. This blows my mind. It says that Peter joined them there. Who is the them? Do you remember last week when we talked about in the in the garden when they arrested Jesus and Peter took his sword out and he cut off the ear of who? It was a servant, and it was a servant that was there with his master, and his master was a, starts with G, ends with ard, guard, right? Peter is sitting around a fire with the enemy. Listen, when you get distant from God and you start to lose the fire that you once had, 
you will look for that fire anywhere you can find it. I don't want to meddle too much, right? But the reason why relationships often go bad isn't because somebody woke up one day and said, today I'm going to wreck my marriage. It's because over time the fire wasn't there and they got attracted to another fire. This is what happened to Peter, right? He falls at a distance. His faith kind of gets a little cold. He's not feeling as close. And so, oh, there's a fire. I'm going to get closer to it just to be near the fire. But then he looks up and realizes, wait a second, like, I'm hanging out with the guards. Like, I was just fighting with these jokers. And now here I am. Distance will do that. That's the danger of distance. That's why God does not want us to have distance between us and him. And then the obvious, we just read it three times. He's going to deny God. He's going to deny Jesus. And I just say this, that it's Distance from God dims our commitment to God. Distance can dim the commitment. I, I, love, um, I love technology. Anybody ever gone on a mission trip? Raise your hand. Mission trip people? Okay. So, like, I went to India. The first time I went to India, my family stayed home. Wendy, the kids, the whole deal. And we didn't have, like, we didn't get to talk. The second time I went to India... We got to use this thing called Skype. Oh, yeah. FaceTime and Skype, y'all. I mean, it's like I'm sitting there looking at a computer screen, talking to my family, and it shrunk the distance. Now, granted, they're on the other side of the globe, right? But it felt like we were in the same room. Distance can dim the commitment. But when you're close, when you shrink that distance, Man, suddenly that commitment's like, man, I'd, I'd get off the sky and be like, man, I, I, I love what I'm doing over here for Jesus in India, but I can't wait to get home to my family, right? It's just distance. Distance brings that down. So what I want you to see is that all of this leads us to our pivotal moment in verse 60 when Peter says for the third time, I don't know him. And while he's speaking, the rooster crows. Can, can we just talk for a second about how important it is? How do we read verse 60? How you read verse 60 affects how you read the whole story. So if, if we read verse 60 like Peter is bad, then the crow is a sign of failure. If we read it like God is good, then the crow is a sign of faithfulness in God. I know you don't believe me because you're like, ain't nobody talking like that. But just trust me, check this out. We need to know what the crow means. No. The crow. Now, I don't mean a black bird crow, right? I mean know the cock-a-doodle-doo crow, right? Know the crow. And some of you are like, you're already like, I can't even get on board with this because this is so, like, doesn't make any sense. You've got to know what the crow means. Because if you don't know what it means, you won't know what to do when you hear it. So that whole thing about how I prepare messages, right, I was buttering you up to get to this point. Because I'm fixing to lay the big idea on you. And you're going to be, you're either going to roll your eyes and groan. I know, because it is cheesy, all right? But check this out. When we know what the crow means, we can go where the crow leads. When you know what it means, you can go where it leads. Okay? I know. Hang with me. Hang with me. It's all going to make sense in the end. The rooster crowing wasn't as much about Peter's failure as it was about Jesus' faithfulness. Here's how we know. Verse 61, at that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Can I ask you this question? What do you think Peter saw in Jesus' eyes? I think he saw mercy. 
Some people think he saw skank eye, right? Disappointment. I knew you'd let me down. I knew I couldn't count on you. You know, like, well, if you don't like this and leave, it's okay. Like how Christians talk about the world. Like we're almost glad there's a hell for them. We got Chick-fil-A. Well, they deserve it. They're bad people. Bad people go to hell. No, the devil's supposed to go to hell. It wasn't made for us. God never is excited about people going to hell. And so when we we want to talk like that about the world on social media, man, what happens is what we're saying is in this passage, what we believe is that Jesus looked at Peter like, boy, I taught you better than that. You better be a good Christian. But I don't think that's how he looked at Peter. I think that when Peter looked at Jesus and Jesus locked eyes with Peter, I think he saw mercy in his eyes. I think he saw somebody who was like, I, I, I see you right now, but I got plans for you. I called you a rock because you are. I called you a rock before this moment. I knew this was coming, and I still called you a rock. His failure was overtaken by God's kindness. I'm going to tell you a quick story. And if you've been in the church since we started, you've heard this story before. But those of you that haven't, it's new. It's the best story I know to even come close to illustrating what I think happened with Peter and Jesus in this moment. When I was a teenager, my dad and I did not get along. Now, listen, full disclosure, my dad knows this story. He's heard this story. He's laughed at this story, right? He's probably even corrected the story. But we did not get along. And some of you are like, yeah, I know, daddy issues, I got it. No, no, I mean, we didn't like each other. Some of you don't like that your dad asked you to do things. I literally hated my dad. He, he loved me, but I just, we didn't have a relationship at all. And, and we would butt heads over everything. But the one thing that we butted heads over more than anything else was me making my bed. Well, let me rephrase. Was me not making my bed, right? I mean, he, he would say, you've got to make your bed. And I would say, I don't have to make my bed because it's my bed. And it's in my room. And he'd say, well, your room is in my, oh, you had a dad too. Okay. All right. That's the trump card, isn't it, parents? Like when you lay down, it's my house, game over, right? Like we'd go around and around about this all the time. I hated to make my bed. To me still to this day, making your bed is a waste of time. You're going to use it again, right? And then the decorative pillows that you put on top that nobody ever goes back to your room and sees, I don't get it, but whatever, whatever. We would go around and around. That was the number one issue that we would fight about all the time. I got to where I'd make it every now and then, but for the most part, not really. And I learned how to, you know, like not make my bed and then close the door, right? Because if you close the door, now it's like, Police tape, right? It's sealed. You can't go in there. And my dad's like, I don't care. You closed your door in my house. I'll go anytime I want to. One morning I got up, 
I was in college, and I was getting up super, super early. And when you're in college, you don't eat a bowl of cereal. You eat a bowl of cereal, right? So I got the bowl down. And our, our family's house, like there's a front part of the house, there's a back part of the house, and there's a hall that connects the two, right? My room was in the middle of the hall. Like halfway down the hall, that was my room. My parents were all the way in the back. And so that morning I got my bowl out, I poured my cereal in it, and I started to eat my cereal. And I heard footsteps coming down the hall. And I like to look, footsteps, you know by the sound of the footsteps who's coming, right? Because your mom has footsteps and they sound like, I'm bringing cookies, right? And your dad's like, I'm bringing hell, right? I mean, it's like, I'm going to kill somebody, right? It's just bad. And I heard my dad's footsteps coming. And I listened intently as they came down the hall and stopped at my door, which was closed. And I, I just, in that moment, I, I just decided today is the day. It was my Waterloo, right? Like today someone's going to die in this house. It might be me and it might be my dad, but it's over today. So I, I had my spoon and I clenched it because you can stab with a spoon, right? It's painful, but you can do it. So I clenched that spoon and, like, I just felt my insides get all, like, tight. And I got white around the edges, you know, the whole deal. If you've ever felt rage, you know what I was feeling. And then I heard the footsteps come closer to the door that opened from the hall to where I was. And I sat up and I clenched and I waited. I watched the doorknob and it turned. And my dad poked his head. Now, you got to know my dad. My dad looks kind of like Bob Newhart. I know if you're younger, you're like, Bob who? Um, just Google it, Bob Newhart. If you know my dad right now, you're like, dude, he does, right? Like, I say, I see it now, right? But back in the day, this was when my dad was still fighting the faithful fight of the comb over. Do you know what I'm talking about? The comb over is when you have three strands. And everybody else was like, just give it up, right? Just, but he would, he kept it and, you know, whatever. One day we were, we were in the pool yeah, like, if you notice this phenomenon, when you go underwater and come up out of a pool, you can't feel your hair. Have you noticed that? You've never, you'll, you'll try it next time you're in a pool. He went under it, under the water. He came up, and he, did, he couldn't feel that his comb over was now comb on the one side. So it wasn't over, it was over here, and it was way down. And I was like, Dad. And he was like, what's up, you know? <laughs> he fixed it and all that stuff. He's, he has since given up the comb over. He he, he knifed it, which is it's a good move. Anyway, so my dad looks like Bob Newhart, right? But in the mornings when he's waking up, he looks kind of like a turtle. I, I probably do too, so I'm not making fun of my dad. It's just it's genetic, right? So he, he turns that doorknob and he poked his head out. Good morning, Paul. And I went, what? I just want to say I hope you have a good day. And the turtle closed the door and walked back to his room and left me at the table with a whole bunch of rage. I was like, are, are you kidding me? I didn't know what to do. I do know that as soon as I finished eating my cereal, I went and made my bed. Romans 2.4, I love this passage. Romans 2.4 says, have you not forgotten that it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance? It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. It's not God saying you're such a disappointment and what's wrong with you and why can't you be better? It's the kindness of God that calls us to be better. 
And I believe that when Peter locked eyes with Jesus, he saw kindness in the eyes. Like, I know it's not your best moment, but I got you. I'm fixing to go pay for this moment, and it's going to be okay. So let's finish this morning talking about sounds. Sounds are powerful. Um, sounds have this ability to transport us from where we are to where we once were. Okay, I'm going to give you a couple of examples. I'm going to play some sounds for you, and I think you're going to see what I'm talking about. This first sound, um, I think that you'll, you're going to hear like the first two notes, and you're instantly going to be transported from here somewhere else. Let's, let's give it a shot and see what happens. You there? Heart's getting a little fast. So when I hear this sound, instantly I go from platform preaching to you back to the caravel in Myrtle Beach. Okay? Now, I know they're redoing the caravel, but I'm talking about the caravel, right? Like the old weird-shaped sign that says caravel. And literally I was in, um, I think I was in junior high at the time, and we're, we were at the beach. I didn't go see Jaws. My dad got that right. He was like, you don't need to see that. But I'd heard enough about it, seen enough like, you know, like, Little advertisements, and you're just looking at the one picture of the, I mean, it, God, it's a, as big as the earth, his head, right? That I was scared of the water. I'm in the pool, y'all, watching behind me for the shark to come. I mean, you could have come up behind me in the pool and gone, dun, dun. I'd have wet my pants right there, right? And nobody would have known I was in the pool. It was all good, right? They hadn't invented that blue stuff yet, whatever. So, Sounds, man, they're powerful. They take us back. Um. I, I got another one for you. I'm just going to go ahead and warn you. You're going to hear this, and you're going to want to sing. And, and I've edited it to make it shorter so that we can get to the part that you're going to want to sing faster. And it's okay if you want to. You just feel free to sing it out. Let's see, we'll see what happens. Feeling it? It's okay. Close your eyes. Turn to the person you love. Belt it out. It's okay. Go ahead. You know you want to. Yeah. Yeah. So th this sound. <laughs> Sorry, didn't mean to leave you hanging there. <laughs> Some of y'all were like, I ain't feeling it. <laughs> we were like, we're going to stop now. <laughs> y'all going to be like, spandex. Not going to happen. So that song, that song instantly takes me from this platform to high school and gymnasiums and dances and that awful, awkward feeling of do I even want to ask her to dance and if I do, how many times will I step on her toes, right? Just terrible. Like sounds have this ability to take us back, right? Uh, one, one more, and it's, um, anyway, it might not, might not mean the same to you as it does to me, but let's, let's roll with it. Feeling it? Christmas time? So, 
this, this is Polar Express, right? Did you see that? Some of y'all guessed wrong. You were like, Sherlock Holmes? No. That's Polar Express, soundtrack from Polar Express. Now, listen, that's a great movie, and I will play Christmas stuff anytime, anywhere, right, for anybody. I love Christmas. But that song takes me back to 2005. It's when it came out. It came out in November 2005. And 2005, we were our family. We're still two years removed from losing my mom and my brother within 20 days, right? We lost them in December of 2003. So Christmas was already kind of bittersweet. And that year, we're driving down, me and Wendy and the boys in Sydney, we're driving down to visit her family for Christmas. And so we're driving this sporty minivan, right? minivan, but it had a DVD player, and so you could pull that DVD player back to about right here, so I'm driving, so I could have, like, put the chair back and checked it out, but that's not a good idea, so they're watching Polar Express, and I'm driving. It's already kind of emotional, and then that started playing, and I was like, thank God I've got on sunglasses, right? I mean, I'm boohooing the whole deal, like the snubs, everything, right? Like, snot's going all over the place, Steering wheel's getting slippery. It's not a pretty picture. But the funny thing is, now I steeled myself today. I was like, I'm not going to lose it today. But I can be almost anywhere. And when I hear the soundtrack to Polar Express, if you ever see me cry, now you know why. It's, it just takes me right back. Okay, last one. Are you ready? Are y'all good? Sounds have this power to take us back. Last one, I promise. This is the last one. Here we go. How many more times are we going to have to hear that, right? It took me so long to make that sound so genuine. But I did good, didn't I? Y'all, come on. That's YouTube. Come on, y'all. Listen, we don't live in an agricultural society like Peter did. But you know that's what Peter heard every morning the rest of his life. Every morning he woke up and he heard that noise. Now, if, if that meant a reminder of your worst night. How would you react every day when you woke up? But if that was a reminder, check this out, of God's faithfulness every morning, it would change the way you hear a rooster crow. Do you know, when Peter denied Jesus the third time and they looked at each other, do you know what the Bible says? Depending on your translation, I think the NIV says this, and then Peter remembered. Do you know what he remembered? He remembered the word that Jesus had spoken, that you will deny me before the, the rooster crows. Now, granted, that's not a good word, right? Is that fair to say? Like, we don't want that word. But what he really learned is this. He learned that what Jesus says will come to pass. The Bible says God's word will not return void. It will accomplish what it's been sent to do. And so Peter learned, wait a second, even though it wasn't a good word, what Jesus said came true even in my worst moment. Can I tell you this? Some of you have experienced your worst moments, and God's word is still true. Can I be even more honest? Some of you are experiencing your worst moment, because you haven't even come to realize it's your worst moment yet. 
and his word is still going to be true. And what a merciful God to tie a sound that Peter would hear at the beginning of every day for the rest of his life to his mercy. I believe that every morning Peter would think about the words of Jeremiah. Listen to what he said in Lamentations. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, Lord. The crow means mercy. The crow means mercy. It means that I heard it again, God, and you're not done with me yet. There's another day of your mercy that's going to get me through whatever I'm facing. Your worst day is not your last day. It's the first day of the mercy of God. Man, that's so good, y'all. And I want you to take from this this morning that there is a sound. I know that we don't live, we don't live on farms, most of us. And I'm sure you could take out like your iPhone or your snazzy other phone and you could find some rooster sound and set that for your alarm. I wouldn't recommend it. It's not a very soothing way to wake up in my mind, right? But you've got to find a sound that reminds you of the mercy of God because he's got one for you, just like you have one for Peter. What does it sound like when mercy crows? It sounds like every single morning, remembering again, his mercy is new. His mercy is new. Whatever happened yesterday is over. He was up all night long whipping up a fresh batch of mercy for you and for me. Would you just bow your heads, close your eyes. I'm going to just give you some space, just you and the Lord, right now. Just to thank Him for being the merciful God that He is. I know that this is a now word for some of you in the room. Like you have, you need this word. And if that's you, would you just raise your hand and say, man, I needed to hear about the mercy of God today. Man, all over this room. So encouraging. You know, because the Lord knows what he's doing, right? He knows what he's doing. I just want to pray over those of you that raised your hands. And now I'm going to let the, the team just kind of lead us in a little bit. I love that song, Your Praise Will Ever Be On My Lips, right? And do you know why we continually can praise God even when we mess up? Because he just keeps giving us mercy. So, Father, in your name, Jesus, right now, I just pray over these that raise their hands that you would just flood them, God, with your mercy. And I'm so thankful for the rooster. I'm so thankful for the sound that the rooster makes. I'm also kind of thankful I don't live near a rooster. But, God, there's a sound that you have for us. And I believe, God, that worship is part of that sound. The Bible says that you sing over us, God. And in these moments, I'm praying, God, that you would flood us with the realization that you are not done with us. I'm asking those of us that raised our hands, that as we kind of finish this up singing this chorus, I'm praying that they would see you, you would look at them, that you would lock eyes with them like Peter did, and they would see in your eyes the kindness of a God who still believes in them, the kindness of a God who is not done with them, who says the best is yet to come. And that they would run to that mercy, Lord. Run to it.